On today's episode of the Nerd by Word, we welcome back friend of the show and comic book writer Jared Lujan to get a behind-the-scenes look on the Action Lab situation. How did we arrive at a situation where a publisher is demanding a $3,000 buyout for a book that they've yet to release? Stick around and find out because the by word begins now. Welcome into a very special Big J Journalism episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. During last week's Nerd News segment, Dave reported that Action Lab Comics is currently embroiled in a situation in which contracted creators are accusing the publisher of a multitude of unbecoming and unprofessional business practices, including late payments, missing payments, poor publishing plans, and an egregious lack of communication. Comic book writer Jared Lujan, who came on the Byword back in March to talk about his book Twin Blades, has been perhaps the most vocal creator in speaking out and advocating for justice for himself and his fellow creators. Jared has graciously agreed to come on and speak with us regarding this situation, but first, it's time for... Nerd News! Dave, what's new, Pussycat? Well, the fact that you call me Pussycat is deeply troubling, first of all. Um, <laughs> but second of all, apparently we're all getting ready to plug back into the Matrix, something that I didn't think was going to happen anytime soon again. Uh, so we got a first trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, the upcoming fourth film in the Matrix franchise. You know, for those younger nerds among you, uh, the Matrix was kind of a big deal when it released 20 years ago. It was sort of a cultural phenomenon. Uh, the first one in particular uh, became sort of a real sci-fi, you know, punkish touchstone that, uh, you know, really was appealing to a whole lot of people. Now, I will freely admit that uh, I was a fan of the first Matrix. I felt that uh, the second and third movies in the franchise uh, reloaded and revolutions were ultimately letdowns and much weaker uh, then the first movie, uh, there was definitely sort of a diminishing return situation. But uh, other things were, you know, pretty cool. There was a decent uh, Matrix video game that came out during the time. Uh, we also got the Animatrix, where uh, anime creators got to play around a little bit uh, with the concept of the Matrix. All really cool stuff. Uh, still, ultimately, I think the sense was that, uh, you know, the Matrix franchise has been solidly left in the past at this point. And yet... Here we are talking yet again about a new Matrix movie coming out, The Matrix Resurrections. And I will freely admit the first trailer actually has me intrigued. The vibe that the trailer gives off is much more first Matrix than second or third. It seems to be actually taking place mostly inside of a new simulation. Um, there's a very, very cool atmosphere going on. Uh, the two biggest players, of course, are back. Um in uh, Neo and Trinity. And of course, we also have the very odd situation that Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, is not in the movie, although it appears that his character might be, uh, based on what we've seen in the trailer. Um, digging around a little bit, apparently there was a Matrix MMO for a little while. And in the story of that particular game, Lawrence Fishburne's version of the character was killed off. 
So apparently they're following canon with the MMO. Very interesting. But ultimately, I think what's got me most intrigued about this trailer, plain and simple, is that it feels so much more like the first Matrix um, than the second and third one, which got away from the notion of, you know, question reality and, and all of that. There was a really cool philosophical underpinning in the first Matrix about reality and perception that kind of got lost in like these really long pseudo philosophical rants in the second and third one. So if we can recapture something a little bit like the first matrix with this movie, I think this might be a good time, Chris, what do you think? I've got to be completely honest. I absolutely love the first one, the second and third one. I like, I think maybe watched them once and had the exact same experience, like to the point where I just did not revisit them. So, you know, in preparation for this one, because it really hooked me as well, I, I think I'm going to do a full blown rewatch of this. Um, it's really interesting, the whole Morpheus situation, because it looks like Yaya Abdul-Mateen, who I'm a huge fan of, is is listed as Morpheus. And that's what I thought from the trailer. Um, you know, the, it, it's the tiny glasses that inexplicably stay on their face. Um, <laughs> but also I'm looking now at the IMDb page and there's some other folks in here that I didn't know. I guess I didn't see in the trailer or I missed in the trailer. Um, I didn't recognize Jonathan Groff. Um, I'm a huge Frozen fan. So Kristoff being in the Matrix film franchise is amazing. Uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas is there. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who is untouchable in everything that he does. Um, Christina Ricci, who is a, a favorite of the show. We talked about Wednesday Adams a while back and um, you know how she's kind of been selective in her roles. Uh, Jessica Henwick, who was the only good thing aside from Madame Gao to come out of the Iron Fist series. Uh, she's in this. Jada Pinkett Smith uh, is amazing. She's in this. So I, I'm just excited to see. And then, of course, Keanu Reeves, like with the full beard and like the 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 current Keanu as as Neo. I'm excited. They didn't like make him shave and do all that. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this whole story fits and just go back and rewatch this whole series and just reacclimate myself with everything, even if the second and third aren't as promising uh, as, as the first one. See, I actually now will be a little contrarian there. I really wish they would have told Keanu to shave and get a haircut. I think <laughs> what we're getting a little bit is John Wick syndrome. It seems like every movie he pops up and he just looks like John Wick. That was a pretty um, new look for him when the first John Wick came out. And now it's just like his default look. So like he pops up in video games looking like that. He uh, you know did like what, three John Wick movies at this point looking like that. Um, even in Bill and Ted, I think he actually shaved the beard, but he left the long hair. The so he, he looked weird without the beard. It was it was is like commit one way or the other. So the Bill and Ted one, he looked weird. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I think you know to to kind of be Neo again, it would have been nice if they would have done a visual callback and try to give him that '90s hair. I would have been totally there for that. I'm just I'm just worried that Keanu's going to end up like you know, being Keanu in every role he plays, if you get what I'm saying. Like, he's not going to get lost in roles, really, if he's constantly just, you know, John Wick. It's like if William Shatner ran around in every single, you know, movie he played with the with the, the pointy, you know, James T. Kirk sideburns, you know? It just <laughs> seems a little like an odd choice. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still holding out hope that he'll be Norrin Rad, the Silver Surfer in the MCU, because I think that's the most pitch-perfect fan casting I've ever seen for the MCU, so... Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for this movie and I can't wait to see it. I am too. All right, Chris, what have you got in the world of the nerd news? 
Well, Marvel Unlimited, an app that I frequently use um, and I have worn out uh, and gotten my subscription worth, has gotten a major, much-needed facelift um, with uh, competitors like Comixology Unlimited and uh, DC Universe Infinite. Um, they are really looking to to keep up with the Joneses and, and really kind of stand out. So um, they've introduced something called Infinity Comics, um, which were 27 issues that were released uh, immediately uh, as of September the 9th uh, when this article was published from The Verge. Uh, and um, it's really streamlined for phone usage, for tablet usage, in that you don't have to turn pages side to side. You just keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Uh, and I read a couple of these. I read the first two X-Men Unlimited comics, which were written by Jonathan Hickman, who um, apparently lied to fans and said that he was stepping away from X-Men comics and then surprised us with this series. Um, and then I also read the Amazing Spider-Man one. Of course, I'm basic like that. Um, and, and that was really enjoyable, too. That was a more kind of like... Uh, an inventory issue, not a whole lot that was established, but it was a really fun kind of, you know, thing. The, the thing I like about reading digital comics, especially on my phone is that I can, you know, do it one handed if I'm, you know, multitasking or something like that. So, so kind of just kind of leaning in and, and a lot of, um, you know, social media people were uh, accusing them of, you know, stealing from webtoons or something like that. Um, but in addition to uh, the launch of these Infinity comics, they've also, you know, completely gone cosmetic uh, and, and done a whole facelift. Um, and it really harkens of like the Netflix model. They have um, like suggested reading lists based on the preset characters uh, that you choose to follow. You can also now follow creators. So I immediately went in and started following Al Ewing and Jonathan Hickman um and and some of my favorite creators so that's a really cool thing and then that also kind of shapes up your suggested readings uh as well and one of the biggest ones that's really really nice is you can save an entire run to your library rather than just one issue at a time removing it from your library and then adding the new issue you can just put the entire run in there uh and very much very similar to the DC Universe Infinite, it'll just say, hey, pick up where you left off, continue reading the series. And it's a much more streamlined um, experience rather than just going one issue at a time. It's a, it's a lot less laborious. Um, also, a big thing for, for some folks, I don't download a whole lot of issues, so this particularly didn't it apply to me. But now, instead of the limited 12 issues that you can download straight to your phone, you now have absolutely no limit as to how many issues you download. So a lot of fans are are picking up by that. Uh, one criticism that I did see uh, in the replies of the original announcement was people are mad that they can't search by publication date or, or something of that effect. And some people were trying to do that. But um, everything that I've experienced personally with this major, major um renovation i've i've immediately I, I just love it it's it's really fun it's sleek um and we're looking at you dc universe unlimited because um i i've sampled all three if we include comiXology unlimited um and dc universe infinite is incredibly hard to navigate and it's and it's personally for me it's frustrating because i'm really trying to break into reading dc 
uh, and I even tweeted this out on social media, is that I had to rely on your knowledge, Dave, for recommendations and exactly what issue because trying to to navigate the DC app is like spitting in the wind. It is not very new user, new reader friendly. It, it's it's very, very difficult. They have their set um, you know, recommendations or, or featured this creator. But for example, I was trying to look at the stuff that uh, Jeff Thorne has written. Um, so I searched for Jeff Jeff Thorne's name and absolutely no results popped up or stuff by other creators. So uh, DC, we're looking at you now. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. I have not sampled anything except for comiXology, and admittedly, that has been um, quite a while. So uh, for the most part, you know, I'm doing the old physical issues thing. Although increasingly, um, you know, between physical issues, between a whole bunch of trades, I have two bookshelves full of trades, um, you know, a couple of dozen long boxes in my basement. I think the time for digital may be upon me. So if you're saying that Marvel is a good place to start, I might do that, actually, Chris. It sounds like a really good uh, recommendation. I think this is like news plus nerd commendation. Right, it's right, like right, a, right. It's like a twofer. Uh, and I think I'm really ready for this one. I think uh, it's a really good idea. So I might be trying that Marvel one out. Do you know if they have any like intro deals for newbies? Um, every once in a while, especially when like a new movie or show comes out, you'll, you'll want to keep uh, keep an eye out for the promo codes because they'll usually give you the first month free. But um, the thing that I really like about Marvel Unlimited, too, is no DC, by comparison, has a $7.99 price tag, but you have to wait six months before stuff is loaded on there. Um, Marvel, it's $9.99 a month, but you have, in addition to the access to the 29,000 comics, you only have to wait three months. So half the wait. So it's a, it's a great deal. But yeah, keep an eye out. Um, they usually have, um, you know, like I said, when a new show or something comes out, something that they really want to promote, they'll have a promo code for your first month free. I may need to try that. All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. When we come back from this, our first break, we have another returning guest. Jared Lujan comes uh, and sits down with us to talk about what the heck is going on with Action Lab Comics. Stick around. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's As we previously detailed, writer and creator Jared Lujan has been one of the most vocal advocates for creators' rights in the face of the Action Lab comics uh, situation, and he has graciously squeezed some time into his very busy schedule to give us and our listeners a true look at just what the heck is going on. Jared, thank you so much for coming back and chatting with us. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for, for having me here. So first and foremost, Jared, before we get into the trenches here, um, thank you for being willing to come back on the show. And what have you been up to since we spoke last uh, and the release of Twin Blades back in March? Yeah, so... Uh... After Twin Blades came out, um, I went into full promo mode for Crash and Troy, um, which uh, was obviously the Action Lab book uh, that caused everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, besides that, I, I've been pretty knee deep in production with a book called All the Devils Are Here, uh, which is coming to Kickstarter next Thursday, uh, so, uh, September 16th. We're launching on Mexican Independence Day because, of course. Yes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, so that book's been uh, been in production. It's a big, ambitious book. Um, it's gorgeous. The art is insane. I'm super psyched to finally be able to uh, start bringing that out into the world. So, so Jared, how did you first get involved with Action Labs? Uh, describe sort of the early days of your relationship with the publisher. So I pitched Crash and Troy to Action Lab in February of 2020. Um, we, I, was, I, I had just had Dryfoot announced, which was my Mad Cave book, and I wanted to keep the momentum going because comics, uh, comics as it as it functions as a monthly service, a monthly consumable product, it's real easy to get forgotten about if you're not putting something out regularly. So I didn't want that to happen. Um, so I put I pitched the book to Action Lab, even though I had heard you know a, a few things here and there, nothing like I've I've currently experienced, but I had heard a few things, and um, we pitched pitched it to them. And they picked it up and we signed contracts in March of 2020. Um, right after that, obviously, coronavirus hit the United States like a, a brick through a really bad window. And our relationship with Action Lab quickly deteriorated. Um, we, we had almost no contact from them. Uh, there was a recent statement that the president of Action Lab gave where he said that they had like furloughed people and closed up shop until like spring of this past of 2021, uh, which was all news to us. And like we we knew people had gotten furloughed. We didn't know anybody had, had closed the office, that they weren't operating. Um, we didn't know any of that. What it explains why nobody answered our emails for almost all of 2020. Um yeah, so so that was the early days. The early days was just that we couldn't get anybody to answer our emails because apparently nobody was there and nobody thought that we should know that that uh, know about that information. Um, the few times that we did get someone to reply to our emails during 2020, uh, we were pretty much asking, "Hey, do we need to keep working on this? Because <laughs> this is a four issue miniseries, and if we don't need to." produce it anymore then you can say that and we can stop doing it until you guys are more certain about everything and the responses we got were pretty much um well we won't solicit the book until you complete all four issues and we had a deadline uh, that we had when we signed our contracts that we would have it turned in by november so uh we pushed forward and continued work on the book and uh yeah so that the book was completed and turned in um, in December of 2020. Was this a, like a precipitous drop off? Um, uh, these things turning sour or was it just like, kind of like off a cliff? It's a little bit of both. Um, during 2020, we, we were trying to be as understanding as humanly possible. Like we, we know none of us were insulated from coronavirus. Um, and, and it's effect, not just on, you know, comics, but on our day-to-day -day lives on, our jobs, our, our businesses, like we, we get all that. And so we were all really upset that we couldn't get anybody to answer our emails that um, the few that came through were pretty vague. And so we, while we were upset about that, we kind of chugged forward and um, tried to, to be as understanding as we could about the situation. Uh, none of us wanted 
to add fuel to the fire. All of us kind of chalked up the problems that we had with Action Lab to coronavirus. Uh, it was when the book was solicited or when it was about to be solicited that we had an immediate change in how we were being treated, um, how our book was being treated. And so around April is when we started getting a lot of contact again, more regularly anyway, that people still blew off our emails plenty of times. But um, right around then, we started getting contact again. And it was uh, after the bur- the book's first release date that it missed, which was July 21st. After that, it was it was our relationship with, with Action Lab was nuclear. It was, it was already bad. And um, so I, I don't know if I want to say precipitous, right? Like it, it's, it's literally like three steps. <laughs> the right. first step we were like, Hey, we can chalk this up to coronavirus. Um, the next step is, you know, they're not really being respectful and we're not being told when our book actually hits previews and nobody's marketing it. And then the last step, that we stepped all the way off was the the failure of the book to release on July 21st. Um, after that, we were already at a bad end. Right now, it's obviously at an all time low, <laughs> and it's got no no point. There there is no spike coming. You know, right. um, yeah, I would say it's it's probably closer to like three drop offs altogether. So, just to follow up on on something that you said that caught my interest. Uh, you said that you had heard kind of whispers before, you know, really getting involved with them. Are they are, are those whispers and rumors that you heard previously kind of lining up with what you're experiencing now? No, um, we we had heard things about well, sort of. So we had heard that Action Lab had a bat contract. Um, they do. And uh, we were kind of willing to sacrifice the things in the contract that we didn't like. It's the the perpetual publishing thing that nobody likes, uh, they get publishing rights for as long as they sell the book period. And, um, which isn't okay, but it was, uh, we had heard that they had problems paying people on time. If I'm being completely honest with you, there's not a single publisher in comics that you could name that doesn't have some kind of reputation for not paying people on time. Um, I, and I, so I don't, I'm not trying to call everybody out, but that's the truth. So we also kind of chalk that up to just being the way the industry is. Um, but it was when the book was actually coming out where we had a previews code and we were never told when the book was in previews and there was no promo for our book. Nobody was talking about it. We were expected to do every single thing. That's whenever we realized that we were kind of in a different phase of of what's happening and as more and more creators have come forward and that we've talked to um we're learning more and more that this is significantly worse than it has been in the past so even the rumors that i had heard at the beginning couldn't have prepared me for the mess that we find ourselves in so you said that your relationship kind of went nuclear but it appears that you know the actual bomb went off as well so where are you standing now with action labs if you had to summarize your your overall complaints what would would you say is the main issue at this moment uh the main issue for us is that we our book had four four release dates uh and it failed to release on every single one of them and 
I'm going to go kind of into detail on this, on why I find that to be the big, my biggest problem. Uh, we have like three major problems with Action Lab, but Action Lab has zero social media presence. Zero. They, they don't use Instagram. They don't use Twitter. In 2021, um, as, a, as, a, as a publishing house, as a publisher, whatever you want to call them, a business, you, if you're promoting something like comics, you have to have some kind of some kind of presence. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be good, but action lab didn't send out a single tweet from 2000 during the entire year until like two weeks ago. And they never mentioned our book. They never talked about it. And we were left to do all of the promo work, all the marketing, uh, sending out review copies, sending out copies to shops, contacting shops, talking about it online. Uh, we printed posters that had the July 21st release date. We made books, so we mailed them to shops. Uh, we were running. We were working. Um, Kyler made a, drove out of his city to go to shops around where he lived to talk about it. We organized signings. We organized – I had a small tour planned from the 21st through the 28th where I was going to drive across Texas and go to different shops and do signings. And if nobody's ever been to Texas, everywhere in Texas is like two hours away from from something else. So, <laughs> yeah. So – that's a big ask, you know, and uh, we we did all the marketing. So when the book failed to release on July 21st, um, our first question was, what happened? Like, why is the book not out? And we were told, I don't know. I'll look into it. And we were never given a reason for that. Um, so fast forward, that was the week before release on July 21st. We found that out. Well, they didn't tell us. We we got told by a shop, um, hey, you know, the, the book's not on my invoice. Do you know what's going on? And so we asked them and they told us that. And then July 28th came around, or the week of July 21st, we found out that it wasn't going to release on the new date, July 28th, because there was a sizing issue, quote unquote. Um, and then we got told that the book was going to come out August 11th or August 18th, which is a joke. Giving me two release dates to push a book is, is a joke in itself. Um, that's ridiculous. That's embarrassing for a publisher to do. But anyway, so August 11th, the book doesn't come out. And, um, we ask, uh, we ask what's going on and they tell us that they're just as surprised as we are that the book didn't come out. And which I don't think is true. I don't think there's any way to be as surprised as, as we were that the book didn't come out. Um, so then August 8th. So August, the week of August 11th, we actually asked them to cancel the book. Um, and they told us that it was at diamond, um, which, which is its own bag of problems. And then, so August 18th comes around, the book doesn't come out again. And, uh, I believe it was like the next week where I finally started talking about, um, about, about how we were being treated because we started noticing that like, four other books never made it to shops by their release date. And we were trying, Oh, okay. So it's not a diamond issue because with all due respect, if you have four books that fail to make release dates, that's not diamond. Something else is going on and you can't tell me otherwise. Everybody else has been releasing books and everybody else has been making their, their release dates. If you have four books, the five, including us, that don't make their release, you've done something wrong. And that's when we knew we were being lied to. We were not being told the whole truth about what was going on with our book. Um, 
we were we were given false pretenses for and expectations on what when our book could be released. And I just want to remind everybody, this is a book that has been done since December of 2020. Um, and we are, are we're at four release dates to get the damn thing out. So what bothered me about that is that because they have no social media presence and they didn't have any active role in the marketing, it came down to me and my team to explain to fans, supporters, comic shops, uh, why the book wasn't coming out. And by the time you get to the third release date, no one's going to think, everyone's going to assume that it's a production problem, first and foremost. Everyone's going to think that we're the reason the book's delayed is that the art isn't done. The letters aren't done. We missed a deadline and none of that happened. Um, but, you know, the other thing is we're, we're having to go to these people and tell them, hey, you know, I know it's been a third release date, but it's coming out for sure on the 18th. And we're putting our reputations out there. We're putting uh, our, our, our the networking and the builds, the, the, the relationships that we've built with people. And we're telling them to trust us that there's a, a, if you order up on this book, you know, we'll help you sell it. We'll help you get it out. We'll help you do this, this, and that. And we couldn't do it. And, and people were realizing that the book was not going to release. So uh, yeah, we, we ran into, we were the ones that had to be to face the crowd. Action Lab couldn't even send out a tweet saying anything to, to help us out to soothe things over, people were upset. My my local comic shop ordered 60 copies of the book and and he advertised uh, a signing on social media. So he put in money for that. So he lost money because the book never came out. Who And, and I have a publisher who doesn't have the stomach to come out and say, hey, there was a goof, you know? And, you know, the reason that they don't have the stomach to do that is because it's their fault. Um, their own mistakes led to the book not coming out their own errors led to the book not coming out and uh, they don't want to own up to it. They don't want to take responsibility for it. They want to keep pushing it on diamond when it wasn't diamonds fault. Um, so the answer was for, for, for action lab to blame diamond and to throw us out to, to explain their lies to people. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lie to people who have supported my work who are the only reason I get to write comics um, for money anyway. And um, I'm not going to do that. And so that was my, my biggest issue there is you're asking me to go out here and tell these people who are expecting a book that it's not coming and you want me to parrot your lies that you're telling us. And, and, and that's unacceptable. I'm just blown away how you're going to run a business in 2021 with absolutely no social media online presence. Like how, how is, how does that work? I, I'm, I'm just speechless at that. Yeah. And, and it's because it's dumb, you know, like <laughs> it's so mind numbingly dumb uh, to think that's an, and, and to be, a, you know, the business, the, the promotional stuff, we brought that up in our first round of negotiations with action lab to get our book back. And, I said, you know, I, I think that you guys didn't do enough promotional stuff and that has already soured this whole thing. And they responded by telling me that they put an ad in previews. And what they mean is that they put a solicit in previews. They didn't put an ad. They didn't put a full page ad in previews. They put a solicit in previews and they are counting that as advertisement. And it's not, it's a joke. Um, yeah. So 
So yeah, I, I, it's, there's no way to make that make sense. And that's because uh, they didn't care to, to do any of that stuff, to, to have any sort of backup for us on the book. So speaking of online, the only site that seems to be reporting anything at all in the situation is Rich Johnston over at Bleeding Cool. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, um, well, so to be fair, Women Write About Comics did a really great piece. I did see that yesterday. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that they've got another one in the can. Um, so I think there's another one coming. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think like the, the issue is that, number one, uh, none of us are real big name creators. So there's not a ton of interest from you know, your newsaromas and your CBRs. Uh, Bleeding Cool loves the, the gossipy drama stuff. Their first article with, with, with the, with Brian uh, was a joke and, <laughs> and it, it's, it was a bad joke. Um, and then, you know, obviously women write about comics is doing something about it. Uh, but I don't know. I think, I think so much of comics media is geared towards movies and TV. Yes that that they're not interested in a, a so a story like this that doesn't involve you know James Tenian or Matthew Rosenberg or anything like that uh, I'm more surprised by how few indie creators have said anything in support publicly to to be totally honest with you because indie comics like a big thing about indie comics is how everybody thinks that there should be a union and how we should stand up for ourselves and for creators. But there's been like a pretty unnerving amount of silence about this stuff. And uh, I've, I've had people that have DM'd me and said, Hey, I can't say something publicly because I've got, I've got X, Y, and Z going on. And um, I don't want to jeopardize that. And I'm cool with that. I feel that if, if you're, you're out there working and you're trying to get make comics and you're just trying to get paid, I, I feel you, I'm not going to fault anybody for that. Uh, but to, to these people who I know have seen everything going on to not say anything is, is to me concerning, you know, you're, you're about the union life when, when it's going to benefit you, but when it's not immediately benefiting you, well, then, then you can kind of take a, a take a buy a back road, you know, um, those are just scabs in the making as far as I'm concerned. So at this point, after all this drama with Action Labs, what is your hope now for Crash and Troy? What are you hoping to still accomplish with the book? I just want them to cancel it. I just want them to drop it and and dissolve the contract. Uh, We have asked that like four or five times now. Uh, We asked them after it failed to make the August 11th release. We asked them. Uh, again, when we entered negotiations last week, we asked them again this week. So at least three times we've said, just cancel the book. Like you, you, you don't need to print it. You know, um, we have, as, as a result of this, we have had two publishers reach out to us interested in publishing crash and Troy. If it, if it gets away from action labs, pause, um, because people know that there was work done on the book and it was done by us, by our team. And the book can be a success if it's in the hands of a competent publisher. Uh, So 
I, I, I'm on board with giving the book to another publisher. I'm on board with putting it on Kickstarter, but I, my art team on this book deserves to have the book seen and it deserves to not be tainted by action labs hands. Uh, seeing that logo on our cover is going to gross me out. If I don't want it, I don't want to look at it. It shouldn't be there because they didn't do anything. Uh, nothing. They did nothing, no promo. They didn't do any sort of editing on the book. Uh, they didn't do any of the art. They didn't do any writing. They have done, they have contributed nothing to the book. So why should they get the the glory of having it? Why should you be able to print a book that we all know is dope as hell and is good and people want to read and people want to check it out. And when you contributed so little, so, so such a paltry amount um, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's, it's insane. So my hope for the book is that Action Lab comes to their senses, gives us the publishing rights back, burns or gives away whatever stock they have, and uh, we can take the book somewhere else and get it done properly. And and I, I want to take just a second sidebar real quick and shouts to Kyler Claudfelter because the art on this is just stunning. And it is an absolute travesty. This book is not in the stands right now. Man, I'm telling you, Bruno, our colorist Bruno... Uh, is the star of the book. It's so gorgeous. I love Tyler. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so gorgeous. I'm I'm just breath. It's so beautiful to look at. Yeah, he Bruno Bruno. I think is the breakout star of the book. Uh, like he, it's such a the book looks the way. Uh, Kyler's an amazing artist, and I don't want to take that away from him at all in any capacity. But Bruno is isn't a phenomenal colorist. And he and Kyler together blew my mind the entire time the books, were, the pages were coming in. Um, Bruno got COVID like twice during production and, and just powered through, you know, um, I'm, I'm most upset because I think once people saw what, what see what Bruno can do, he, he could get work consistently for the next several years. He's just a fantastic colorist. Uh, and, and so it seems um, that a few other creative teams have reached that contractual dissolution with Action Lab. Uh, why do you think it is different for you guys? I think part of the biggest reason is that our book. So it seems to me that Action Lab is releasing digital people. Uh, if you were if they were digital first or digital only, uh, it seems like they're cutting those guys loose because they know they never paid them. And dissolving the contract means they won't get sued. Uh, and because I know several of those teams and several of those teams never got paid. So they're cutting the digital rights. They're cutting the books contracts because there's no stock. And because they know that they've terminated, they broke, they breached the contract. Um, the physical people, they're trying to extort us all for the, the money of the stock, the cost of the stock inside of uh, the warehouse. Um, some of that has not been true, uh, but whatever. The but the the it's just a joke, you know. They they overprinted so many of these books that it's it's ridiculous to expect people to pay for your your terrible business practices. Um, I was talking to one creator, and he was telling me that they printed like three thousand copies of a number three, and he was like, "My number one sold like twenty five hundred copies." So why would you print 3000 of number three? <laughs> like, like it, it makes no sense. <laughs> it, 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I read somewhere that some of those folks, they just dumped onto Comixology without any kind of notification that had been released as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. They'll they'll drop it. Um they'll drop it on Comixology because that'll count as a as putting it on sale. So that means that Action Lab can lock that in forever. Um in in, per, in perpetuity. Um so yeah, they, they do that all the time. They they a lot of these guys, what they did is they dropped the first issue and then they canceled the physical run because it didn't sell good enough and they'll stuff it on on Comixology so they can keep it all. Now you mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier uh, in the show, but uh, it seems like creators oftentimes encounter questionable business practices uh, when they're interacting with small press publishers. Um, would you still recommend to creators to work with these small uh, press publishers or do you recommend simply self-publishing? So uh, Bob France had said something uh, he's a buddy of mine he does metal metal shark bro um he had said something like the reason these shady publishing outlets exist is because people think downward or or think poorly of of self-publishing and i i think he's right uh i think part of comics is like part of it is also that people don't aren't are afraid of rocking the boat too much and getting listed as a as a difficult creator but I think in comics in particular that self-publishing is, is more than any other industry. It's, it's acceptable and it's viewed, it's not viewed down. It's not viewed as being beneath something else. Uh, I mean, look at, look at David Pepos that, that dude's racking in $30,000 on, on the OZ on Kickstarter right now. Um, and everybody knows that book's dope. Like everybody knows that book's a hit. Everybody knows that book could be at image and he just does it without them. You know, um, and I think that's something that we should all be considering. I, I think if you have a completed work, uh, sure. Yeah. Put, put, send it to a publisher. If you want, I pitched twin blades around after it was done. Um, and it, and it was fulfilled because I was interested. And then I, I think I've seen similar things happen with my friends and scout, but if I'm being totally honest with you, I kind of feel like a publisher should be paying you in advance or they should at least be paying a page rate. And if they're not going to do that, you shouldn't enter production on a book with them without it being done. Uh, fund it on Kickstarter, man. Go go any other route. I, I and I have a lot of love for these small publishers. Uh, I'll, I'll put out a book with with a couple of them, but you know you're talking about <laughs> Crash and Troy. If if we were paying if if I made a, a 22 page book, let's not even talk about Crash and Troy. If I made a 22-page book uh, or a four-issue a four miniseries at 22 pages each and an artist's page rate is $100 a page, then you're talking about right there is about $10,000. So why should you as the writer or the creator invest $10,000 on something you're not going to make the money back on? You're not going to make $10,000 back on, on a small publisher on in comics. It's not going to happen. And we haven't even done the colorist or the letterer yet. <laughs> so um, I think that people need to get one. You should really look at self-publishing. You should look at doing smaller stories. You should look at cutting your teeth on work for higher gigs. Uh, but you should, you should not invest 10 grand, anything like that to, to, so that you can publish a book through a publisher. You should just take it to Kickstarter. 
So if, if like furthering advice for, for folks that are looking to get in the game, new creators, um, if they do want to pick a publisher uh, and go that route, what, what advice would you have for them on picking the right group to work with and what warning signs should they look for? So my new, my new slogan is ask my lawyer, um, do not look, if you get a contract, you've got to pay a lawyer to look at it. And I know that that sucks. And I know that indie comics are already super expensive to make, but it's going to save you a headache that I've been having for 18 months. If you just go to a publisher, if you go to a lawyer and say, Hey, I got this deal. I'm just trying to make sure I understand everything. Could you take a look at it and get it looked at, get it reviewed. There are a couple of lawyers that are comic specific and they're not going to charge you an arm and a leg. Um, but I'm never signing anything without a lawyer present or without a lawyer reading it ever again, uh, which is what I should have done this time. But I think the other thing is to like try and find creators who have already worked there and worked with that publisher and reach out and see if they could tell you, Hey, you know, you think you can reach out and say, Hey, you know, I, I I'm really thinking about pitching this book towards X, Y, and Z, you know, you did work with them. Are they a good publisher to work with? You know? Um, I think that's the, the, the move is, is to ask your peers, ask your fellow creators what they think of, of certain groups and, um, people who have done the work there. That's what, um, now, I mean, that's what we do a lot in, in our circles. Uh, uh, we talk about when someone's like, Hey, I got an offer on my book. We were like, Oh, we heard X, Y, and Z and nothing that's like truly nefarious. Cause I wouldn't keep that a secret, but yeah. So I, I think it's talking to fellow creators and getting a lawyer to look at your contract because you don't want that. You don't want your, your contract to, to come in and bite you later and, you want to, and that's always a good sign, right? If someone puts something like a perpetuity clause, they're probably a shady publisher, you know, uh, get a dissolvement, a dissolution agreement where you can terminate the agreement at any time that you want. Uh, so long as it's before, you know, I, I'm assuming that there's going to be like, Hey, if it's solicited, you can't terminate the agreement or something like that, but something along those lines, uh, that you, you want to put in there, you want to put language in there so that you can protect yourself. Uh, too much of, of comics is done on trust. You need to start, you really kind of have to protect yourself as well. Now on a positive note, um, you have another Kickstarter coming soon. Can you tell us a little bit about All the Devils Are Here? Yeah, so All, All the Devils Are Here is a 44-page sort of horror, sort of action thriller um, about a man. It's an elderly man named Joe Morris who is diagnosed with dementia. And around that time he becomes possessed by a demon and our story centers around a, 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 an exorcist named JC uh, who's mysteriously known as the eater. And he does a spell to create a shared consciousness with Joe Morris and himself and what ends up happening. So he can try and, and exercise the demon uh, because Joe can't consent. Right? So while he's there, he realizes that he's also sharing a consciousness with Joe's demon, that the Joe's demon's far more powerful than he expected. And now he's in a, a whole world of hurt, navigating this consciousness and trying to save Joe Morris's life. Um, 
it is a a really wild book. Uh, it's like a Inception and Constantine set in the worlds of Sucker Punch. Um, it's big and bombastic, and it's really ambitious. Uh, the art is beautiful. the The colors are beautiful. The lettering is beautiful, and uh, I'm really really excited for people to read it. Uh, it is based Matt Matt Harding is my is my co creator slash the artist. Matt uh, and I both had grandparents who dealt with dementia towards the end of their life. Uh, my grandfather died last year and that's when actually I started writing it uh, because my grandfather couldn't even recognize me when, when he died. And um, so I started writing all the devils are here as a way of working myself, working through that and working through, you know, what happened to him. So it's, but it, and, and I know all of that's kind of heavy, <laughs> but it is a, it is a really, really fun book. Um, really beautiful it's very emotional, but I really think that uh, it's going to be Matt and I's kind of creative statement of, of what we can do and what we're capable of creating. So I'm really, really, really psyched. Um, we've had a lot of really great indie, indie people who have said very nice things about the book, um, including Liam Sharp, uh, David Peppos. Uh, we've got David Andre and... Um, we have a pull quotes from Fellhound, Frankie White, Brian Wickman, uh, lots of people in there that have also created very dope things. So if you don't believe me when I tell you it's dope, there is also very, very talented people saying that it is dope as well. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm seeing a page here just on a quick Google image search um, from Comic Book Yeti that says comics, existentialism, and Wu-Tang Clan. And I mean, like, come on, like, what more do you need? So yeah, that, that's what's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> um, so I'm a proud supporter of your last campaign with uh, Twin Blades. Got my my dry foot number one. What kind of incentives do you have on this project for your backers? Oh man, I'm super psyched you asked that. As a matter of fact, um, we have so much cool stuff on this Kickstarter. It's it's such a level up from where I was at Twin Blades in terms of like how I run a campaign. Um, we have commissions on this one uh, that Matt is doing where he's going to, he's going to take a picture of your face and he's going to make you look like a demon. And he did one for me. Um, you probably would have sent it, but he's at Rose city right now. So he can't, but uh, so we have that. We also have a, a big collector's bundle, which, which collects Matt and I's previous work, including twin blades. Um, so you can, if you didn't get twin blades, you can get a fat stack of comics all signed by Matt and I. Uh, we have digital bundles that include Matt and I's prior work. We've got a bundle for each me and Matt. So if you just if you already have Twin Blades but you want Matt's prior stuff, you can get that. We've also got three covers. Uh, so we have a, a first cover which is by Matt and Nia, our colorist. Um, we've also got a cover by uh, our buddy Jimmy, whose last name I'm not going to even pretend to. I know how to pronounce. Um, but it's, it's a really gorgeous cover. And then we have a, another cover by Justin Greenwood and Brad Simpson. That is also really, really fantastic. So, um, and we've also got, I, st I managed to scrape up a couple more dry foot uh, trades. So we've got a lot of stuff on this Kickstarter, uh, a lot of collect. Well, there's only two tiers that are collectible. Oh, and I brought back script reviews. Um, I wasn't going to do script reviews this time around, but when I was planning this Kickstarter, I had a, a lot of Twin Blades backers mentioned that they missed out on the chance to get the script reviews. So I brought back and I think I doubled them in size. 
so there's a lot, there's like 12 available this time around. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff on there for, for anybody. If you're looking to buy a comic or you just want, you just want the digital, you just want the physical there's there. It's there for you. If you want all the variants that's there for you, uh, we have add-ons so you can mix and match tiers. It's, it's awesome. It's going to be a really fun campaign. All right, Jared, thank you so much for your time. How and where can we and our audience go and support you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Um, it's at Jared Lujan, uh, J-A-R-R-E-D-L-U-J-A-N. Uh, you can go to my website, Lujan Writes, uh, writes like a pencil, and you can go on there and uh, sign up for my newsletter. And you can see a bunch of uh, people who signed up for my newsletter were seeing pages for All the Devils Are Here like three months ago. Um, so they, you get a lot of really early sneak peeks and stuff. But um, yeah, if, if the newsletter is a lot of fun whenever I'm not crying about how much I hate Action Lab. So uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's pretty fun. But yeah, so there's a lot of fun stuff there. But uh, I'm most active on Twitter for sure. All right, folks. While you are celebrating Mexican Independence Day, Viva la Raza, on September 16th, make sure you go to Kickstarter and support All the Devils Are Here. Jared, thank you so much, man. And best of luck. And hopefully Crash and Troy gets freed. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully. Thank you for having me. And hopefully it does. I, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling I, I have felt a lot of things the last couple of weeks regarding this. Book. <laughs> um, I have I have thankfully returned to cautiously optimistic. <laughs> Uh, another special thanks to Jared Lujan for coming and talking about uh, something so sensitive and and so personal for him and all the best to him and his fellow creators. And we hope that they uh, receive justice. When we come back from this, our final break, we're going to be hitting you with two more patented nerd commendations. Okay, we are back. It's our final segment. You know what it is. Dave, you're in the spooky mood. Well, the only thing that I love more than 80s horror is a movie who that can respect and poke fun at 80s horror at the same time. And my wife and I found that movie recently on Hulu in The Final Girls. And I was really scratching my head uh, before we started recording today what I was going to nerd commend. I've had not had a chance to read a whole lot. Um, and I was, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of TV right now either. And my wife just kind of looked at me and said, duh, you should be talking about the final girls. So the final girls is a 2015 comedy slasher film starring Taysa Farmiga and Melin Ackerman. And in this movie, we have Max Cartwright played by Farmiga, whose mother, Amanda was an actress in the uh, fictional 1986 slasher film Camp Bloodbath. Three years after her mother dies, uh, Max gets a chance to uh, sort of attend like a uh, double viewing festival of Camp Bloodbath and its sequel and gets to see her mother on the big screen in this really campy 80s uh, slasher flick. Through shenanigans... Uh, her and a group of friends actually end up getting sucked into the movie and now have to make it, uh, they have to survive to the end of the movie to exit the movie and return to reality. But Max 
uh, you know, being faced with a woman that is basically her mother wants to try to save this character who gets killed in the movie as well. And hilarity and heartfelt moments and, you know, just litter the screen. Uh, The movie is a brisk 91 minutes. It moves very quickly. uh, And at the same time, it's packed to the brim with a lot of fun. Um, It does a really, really good job playing with the tropes of the slasher genre um, and at the same time, it has some really cool slasher scenes. There's also a really big heart in this movie, which is something I really appreciated. Um, you can actually see this right now on Hulu, uh, which is where I watched it. And it was absolutely worth uh, my time. I was super pleased with the performances. The only thing that really bugged me about it a little bit is that it is uh, PG-13. It's kind of hard to watch uh, a send-up of the slasher flick without it being able to kind of you know, make fun of some of the gorier elements of the genre. But at the same time, I think they were able to get away with a lot of really cool stuff for a PG-13 movie and were able to hint at a lot of other stuff. Um, So I think actually overall it worked. Although, you know, really, I think this movie deserved an R rating. So final verdict from both myself and my wife. The movie is very funny, very clever, has a lot of fun. And if you're familiar with the slasher flick, then uh, seeing those tropes kind of uh, poked with a stick a little bit and laughed at is an absolute good time. Okay, so everybody knows I'm a horror noob as of October of last year. Nerd Nightmare is coming soon, by the way, nerds. Um, But... Just a quick IMDb search, and I'm already sold this movie. I'm going to be watching it probably tonight because Adam Devine is in it. Huge Workaholics fan. One of the funniest shows I've ever watched. Um, And Alexander Ludwig, one of my all-time favorite shows, period, Vikings. uh, Bjorn Ironside is in this movie, so I'm already sold. And I will say that uh, Adam Devine plays sort of this, this stereotypical uh, 80s jock you know the the unlikable yes. character that eventually gets killed and he relishes the role perfectly he's absolutely uproarious he also is constantly trying to get with every female character also <laughs> kind of poking fun of that trope a little bit and it's just he is probably one of the highlights of the movie i, I find you know some of his humor best enjoyed in smaller doses but in this movie he just worked all right, Chris, what are you nerd commending this week for us? Oh, man. So Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. I mean, like, what more do we need to say about this service? It's just it's just the best value in gaming by a country mile, uh, by a Greek mile this week. But um, so one that was recently released on there as of August 13th of this year that was previously um, released in September of 2020 to Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, a Nintendo Switch that I heard a lot of great things about because it was notified, uh, glorified as the game of the year by multiple, um, you know, platforms. It's Hades. Um, Hades is a dungeon crawler, roguelike action video game that was uh, developed and published by Supergiant Games. You play as uh, Zagreus, the son of Hades, as he attempts to escape from the underworld and reach Mount Olympus. Uh, he is aided by gifts or blessings from the other Olympian gods uh, and goddesses. Um, I do find the game a little bit repetitive and you have to start over if you die, but it's super fun. Um, I can see why it was game of the year. The imagery, 
the old school. It's kind of like one of those old Legend of Zelda um, Link's Awakening type deals, but with like it's infused with this like anime style art. It's just absolutely gorgeous. The voice acting is fantastic. Um, the storyline is intriguing and interesting. And as as a mythology nut, uh, an award that I won way back in seventh grade and have not recovered from, I've only dove deeper into this fandom. Um, I absolutely love this game and the fact that it's included at no additional cost to my subscription, it's, it's just a slam dunk nerd commendation. So go ahead. If you have an Xbox, uh, if you're not already subscribe to Xbox game pass ultimate, um, use your Microsoft rewards to help cover the cost and go play Hades because it is a super fun kind of retro game. Uh, that I've been missing in my life. And it's got Greek mythology heavily intertwined and multiple storylines and multiple narratives as you're kind of investigating the uh, the goings-on of the underworld as it is. And you have to go through the different levels of Tartarus, Asphodel, Elysium, uh, Temple of Sticks. It's super fun, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, gosh, I wish I had time to play more video games right now. Uh, Hades keeps popping up in in pretty much all the discourse around video games. Uh, Big shout out, by the way, to uh, one of my personal favorite uh, video game podcasts, Triple Click, which also has spoken uh, very, very glowingly about the game Hades. Uh, It's definitely on my radar, and hearing your endorsement just makes me want to play it even more, Chris. Uh, if I ever get some time to actually sit down and play a video game again, Hades will probably be one of the first ones I'll fire up. Yeah, I definitely don't typically purchase a game on multiple platforms, but seeing as I didn't have to actually shell out any more cash, this seems like a perfect game to play handheld on the Switch. So I may I may look at getting it on the Switch as well because I really just enjoy it, and it's that perfect kind of, of Switch-type game. So I can see why it got so much acclaim on that platform. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. A thousand thanks to Jared Lujan. Be sure to head over on the 16th and support All the Devils Are Here. Uh, if you can get a chance to get your hands on Dry Foot and Twin Blades as well, I highly recommend it. I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, and more importantly, hopefully that we can free Crash and Troy and that book enabled to be released um, outside of Action Lab and, and justice can be served. All right, folks, thank you for uh, joining another episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please make sure to give us a rating and or review on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us wherever podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Arhi, iHeartRadio. You know, the list is too long. Let's just say you can find us pretty much everywhere, (laughs) including nerdbyword.com. And as always, hit us up on social media as we are ardently defending the Nick Spencer Amazing Spider-Man run amongst all of the toxic Spider-Man fans. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord or individually at ThatNerdDave and ThatNerdChris. As always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.